Father, as we come to Genesis chapter 46 and we see Jacob faced with this major decision in his life to move or not to move to, to Egypt. And Lord, I just, uh, the way he handles this is, is really like Israel, not like Jacob. He actually does the right thing. And, and Lord, I know you, you, you led him to do the right thing. And Lord, you'll lead us to do the right thing when we face those decisions in life that, that are so major to, to our future. And Lord, I just just uh, ask that we look at this text today and we learn from this text and, and uh, because we're living in times, Lord, where, where we might have to be making some rapid decisions here shortly and about what we're going to do in the future of our lives. And so, Lord, I just ask that you, you, you guide us, you be our guide, and we know you will, Lord, because we know that you love us so much that, that you sent your only begotten son to die for us, to pay for our sins, to give us your righteousness, to give us your life. And Lord, we're so grateful for all of those things. You gave us your word, and Lord, as we study your word today, I ask that you anoint it by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name I pray, amen. You know, the events that we're going through today in the world, uh, the coronavirus, I, I don't need to talk about that much. Everybody knows the, the things that... that uh, the world is suffering through because of this virus, uh, this civil unrest that we have in our nation today, uh, the political upheaval that looks like it's coming in some form or fashion in November of this year. There's just a lot of crazy things going on here in 2020. And at some point, these things are going to affect us in a major way. I truly believe that. And it's going to force us to move out in maybe a different area in our life. It's going to change the direction of our journey on this earth. And, and one of the things we'd better be sure we do when those things begin to happen to us, we better be sure we seek the wisdom of God for the direction we're going to take. Even in the simple things, actually I believe it begins in the simple things. We're to seek the direction and wisdom of the Lord. I remember years ago when I was in seminary, uh, we had, I was about to take a pastorate there in New Orleans and we had saved up enough money to buy another car and it was looking like we were going to need a second car. And so I called a friend of mine in Mississippi and I asked him, he owned a dealership there in Laurel, Mississippi, and I asked him to look out for me for a really good deal on a car, we'd saved up about $5,000, and I said, find me something in that range that's a really good deal, and, and uh, we had prayed about it, and we felt that God was okay, and it was blessing the fact that we were buying a car, and so I had called him, and he told me, he said, look, why don't you meet me over in Slidell? He said, they have an auction there uh, a couple of times a month. If you, you meet me over there, they're having one this Saturday. Meet me over there, and maybe we can buy you a car at the auction. We'll get you a really good deal on it. So without praying or... Seeking the Lord, I jumped in my car on Saturday, and I went to Slidell. And uh, the auction began. And it wasn't long after the auction began, they put up a Dodge Caravan. And it was for sale, and, and the minimum bid was 4500 He said, you want to bid on it? I said, yeah, bid on it. Without praying or doing anything, I said, yeah, bid on it. And I bid on it, and nobody else bid. I mean, there were about 30 people there bidding, and nobody bid on the thing. And I couldn't figure out why until I got in it. Uh, but uh, I wrote the check, and we bought the, I bought the car, and I, I, started, I, drew, I left my car there and drove, began to drive it back to the seminary. 
And, and it began to rain, sort of like today. And so I, I, I cut on the windshield wipers, and I noticed when I looked back in the rear view mirror that the winch, back windshield wiper didn't work. And then I also noticed there was a big crack going down the, the, the windshield. I said, I mean, by the back windshield. And I said, you know what, I'm going to have to buy a new glass. So I knew I had that and the windshield wiper to go. And then, and then so I, 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 I cut on the fan to kind of, you know, to kind of get the humidity out of the car. It was fogging up. And, and the fan on the air conditioner didn't work. So I had a problem there. Uh, then I got up to about 70 miles an hour, and the van began to miss. It was missing really bad, so I said, well, it's going to be a tune-up probably, but, but it turned out it was a valve job, and if you know anything about cars, that's a pretty expensive project to take on. So, so, but then the worst thing I saw, down on the floor as I was driving, there were these little roaches crawling everywhere, and that van was infested with these little roaches, and it took me like a year to get those roaches out of that van. But anyway, I cut the radio on. And lo and behold, the radio worked. I said, thank you, Lord. And so I looked for a Christian channel, and I found a Christian channel. And there was, there was Charles Stanley preaching as, as usual. And Charles Stanley said, he said, you know, you people, he said, he said you, you don't seek the Lord when you go out and make, make, when you do things and you don't seek the Lord for direction, like when you go to buy a car and you don't seek the Lord and you end up buying a lemon and you wonder why. You know, I hate Charles Stanley when he says things like that. But actually, I knew that was the Lord speaking to me. I knew I'd bought a lemon and I learned a lesson that day. I learned a lesson. I mean, I really did. I said, from this point on, before I make any major decision in my life. To some people, they might seem minor decisions, but to me, any significant decision that I make in my life, before I make that decision, I am going to seek the Lord for his wisdom. And what does James tell us about that? Over in James chapter 1, verse 6, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, and without reproach, and it will be given, not it might be given, it will be given to you. So if you want direction from the Lord, the Lord promises, as in James chapter 1, that he will give you the wisdom and give you that direction for whatever decision you're going to make. But now here's the problem, and especially in times like we live in today. There are going to be times when, when the earth seems to be shaken beneath our feet, and and we're going to be forced to make some rapid-fire decisions. And sometimes it's going to take a while to get a clear word from the Lord. And so, so we very well might have to do what Jacob does today in this text. We very well might have to move out in faith. But when we move out in faith, we can trust the fact that the Lord will shut the door if we're not going in the direction that he wants us to go. And, and so as we come to chapter 46 of Genesis, that's exactly what Jacob's going to do today. He's going to actually act like Israel for a change instead of acting like Jacob. Uh, and he's going to give us a great example of what we're to do when we're faced with a sudden decision and a life-changing decision, and uh, uh, we're faced with that question whether to move or not to move. Now, if you remember last time when we left off, uh, Jacob had learned from his sons that Joseph was still alive. And not only was he still alive, he was Lord over all of Egypt. 
And not only was he lord all over all of Egypt, he wanted, Joseph wanted to see his father. And he wanted his father to move to Goshen, that, the, that heart, the heart of the Nile Delta, the, the very plushest land left on earth at that point. And uh, he wanted him to move there so that he could not only survive the five years of famine that were still left, but so that uh, he, could, he could even prosper during that time. And so the, the brother said, look, we got to pack up immediately. Uh, Joseph's brother said, we got to pack up immediately. And Jacob said, we've got to go to Egypt. And, and we only, they only gave us enough supplies to get back to Egypt. They didn't give us enough supplies to survive a five-year famine. So we really have no choice. So here is Jacob now, and he's forced with a decision, a major decision in his life. And look what he does. You look at the very last verse of chapter number uh, 45, and he says, it's enough. What can I say? Uh, Joseph, my son is still alive. I will go to see him before I die. So he makes that decision. He has, really has no choice. He either dies or he, or he leaves. But, but, but then I think as they begin to pack up, and time began to pass. It probably took him two or three weeks or maybe a month or so to pack up and get ready to leave. But as, as he was preparing to leave, he began to have his doubts. And uh, uh, he, he doubted whether or not it was really the right thing to go down to Egypt. Even though he wanted to see his son, even though that was going to be the very best place for them to, to survive the famine, it was going to be much easier to survive that famine in, in, in uh, Goshen than it was going to be in, in Hebron. But he still had his doubts uh, because he remembered or he knew what had happened to his grandfather, Abraham, and his father, Isaac, when what they went down to Egypt. Remember, they faced a famine, and they went down to Egypt, and they weren't in the will of God, and they almost died down in Egypt. Their wives almost died down in Egypt. And so, so uh, he, he, he has his doubts. Not only that, if you remember when Jacob was at Bethel and at Shechem and he had those visions of the Lord, remember that the Lord told him, I want you to go back to Canaan. Now, when the Lord gives you a word, normally what you're going to want to do is to step out based upon that word and not do anything different until God gives you a different word. So if God gives you a word to take a job somewhere and... and, and uh, uh, you get other offers, you don't step out into another job unless God tells you you can go to another job. But now here's what might happen. You might be losing your job, and you have no choice but to, to, to step out in faith and find another job. So, 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 so situations sometimes and circumstances sometimes dictate how we act upon our faith. But we want to be sure that no matter what we're doing, that, that we're seeking the wisdom of God. So, so Jacob's pondering this thing, and he tells his sons, he says, look, you know, I don't know if I should go down to Egypt. I've got my doubts about going down to Egypt. Look what happened to Abraham. Look what happened to Isaac. Uh, God's told me to, to be in the promised land, and he hasn't told me otherwise. So, so you know, I've got my doubts, and I'm sure the son said something to him like, you know, hey, Dad, we're going to die if we don't go down to Egypt. We can't make it up here. They only gave us enough supplies to get back to Egypt. They didn't give us enough supplies to, to, to live 
five years through a famine, and Pharaoh commanded us to come back. Now, what's he going to think if we don't come back? I mean, and don't you want to see Joseph? And so I think Jacob says, you know what? I think you're right. He said, I, I think that's the only choice I have. And so, so he agrees to, to move back down or move down to Egypt. And that's where we pick up in chapter 46, verse number 1. Chapter 46, verse number 1. So, and look at what the Lord calls him here, Israel. And he's acting like Israel here. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. Now, basically, if you look at a map, Beersheba is at the very bottom of Israel. So, so Joseph says, and it really is a little bit out of the way of one of the ways they could have gone down to Egypt. They could have taken the Mediterranean road all the way down. It would have been a little bit easier. But he wants to go to Beersheba. Because Beersheba is the place where Abraham had encountered the Lord and Isaac had encountered the Lord. And, and he had been in Beersheba more than likely for a while. And, and, and I don't think he had encountered the Lord there. But Joseph still saw God as some sort of local deity, I believe. And, and, and that's why he went back to Bethel. And that's why he went to Shechem. And he goes to these places where he's encountered God on multiple occasions so he can get a word from God. And so he thinks Beersheba would be a good place. But before I step out of Canaan, when you leave Beersheba and you head south, you're out of Canaan, I want to get a word from God. And so uh, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father. So Beersheba was the point of no return. He knew that, that hey, if I don't get a word from from God here, more, more than likely, I think he would have turned back because he would have thought he was out of the will of God and he would have been afraid to be out of the will of God. But he does the right thing. He plants himself there and he says, Lord, I got to get a word from you. And he offers up sacrifices to the, to the, God, of, to the God of his father, Isaac. And listen to the spectacular way God responds. Look, then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night. I love that phrase there, the visions of the night. Have you ever had any visions of the night? I mean, the best time to have a vision from God, and I'm not necessarily some supernatural vision, but where you just feel the very presence of God is at nighttime. And when I'm talking about nighttime, I'm talking about when you're when you're, when you're away from the television set. Of course, Jacob didn't have that problem like we do now. But when you're away from everything, you're away from your kids, you're away from your wife, you're away from everything, and you get just really close to the Lord, and you get a vision of the Lord. It might be reading the Word, you just get a vision of the Lord, a night vision. I remember there was a program on, on the radio when I lived in Las Vegas called Night Sounds, and it came on at midnight, and they played the most heavenly music I, I think I've ever heard. I mean, it was all orchestra and choirs and these large choirs and stuff. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. And I remember just staying up till midnight so I could hear that music and just get really close to the Lord. And I had visions of the Lord back then. I mean, I, I didn't have some supernatural vision, but I could see, almost see the Lord being present with me during those night visions. So you want to you wanna try something different. I mean, at night... Get away from everything sometimes and, 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 and just get close to the Lord. Just get in the darkest place you can be, and then you can really see the light when the light shines. And that's what Jacob does. He has these night visions. And then the Lord spoke to him in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Now, this isn't, this isn't a 
sarcastic reference to Jacob, Jacob. This is a term of endearment. The Lord loved Jacob. And he says, Jacob, Jacob. Just like he might say, George, George, or Roy, Roy, or Lois, Lois. He loves us, and, and we're dear to his heart. And he says, Jacob, Jacob. And, he said to him, and Jacob said to him, here I am. And so he said, the Lord said to him, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. Now, as soon as Jacob hears those words, he knows that he's in the perfect will of God. And I believe his heart soars because he's going to get to move in God's will. When you move out and you know you're in God's will, there is nothing more exciting and more reassuring than that. When you know, because you know things are going to happen for your good, if you don't know for sure you're in God's will, you better look out. You don't know what's going to happen to you. Bad things can happen to you. So he knew right away he was in the will of God. He was going to get to see Joseph, his son, and, and uh, he was going to survive the famine, and he was going to prosper. But God had bigger plans than that. Look at this. The Lord said, hey, here's my plan, and here's the reason you're really moving down there, because I will make of you a great nation there. They went down as a little bitty, or really you could say a large family, but a little nation. They went down with about 180 people, maybe, maybe with servants, 250 people, something like that. And when they left in the Exodus, there was 2 million Israelis at that point. And so they grew a lot. God did make a great nation of them down there. Then look at the next verse. He says in verse number 4, the Lord says to Jacob, and I love this, I will go down with you. You know what he's saying to Jacob there? He's saying, Jacob, I'm not a local deity. I'm not a God you'll find in Beersheba, but you won't find down in Egypt. I'm not a God you'll find in Shechem, but you won't find in Goshen. I am God Almighty. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. You know, that's a promise of God that we see over and over again in Scripture. You remember when, when uh, Joshua took over for Moses and God spoke to him. He said, one of the things he told him was, I will never leave you or forsake you. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, that is quoted to the church. All of us, God says to us, in, in endearment to us, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Wherever you're at in life, if you're a born-again believer, if you're going to be a born-again believer and you're, you're not yet, if, if you're a child of God, and God knows before the foundation of the world who are his children, God is with you wherever you go. When you go outside the will of God, don't let people tell you, God is still there. Now, I don't want to be outside the will because he's there and he might be carrying his paddle with him. So you don't want to get outside the will of God. But, but God is with you wherever you go. He never leaves you or forsakes you. You know, the very last words that Jesus said before he left this earth, before he ascended up to heaven, are, are close to the very last words, he says, Lo, I am with you, how about long? Always, even until the end of the age. I'm with you always. God is with you always. And he tells Jacob here, I will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also surely bring you up again. Now, there's a twofold prophecy that God speaks here. 
One, one part of it is the part of the fact that of the exodus, the fact that one day this nation is going to come back into the land of, of Canaan. And so this is not a final uh, move that you're making here. You're going to be back in the promised land. But not only that, one day you're going to die. And he basically tells him where he's going to die because he says Joseph will, will put out his hand on your eyes. He'll put your eyes down. He'll be there when you die. And then you'll go back and you will be buried in Canaan. So, so twofold prophecy here. And then here's Jacob, man. He's excited now. He knows he's in the will of God. And so Jacob arose from Beersheba and said, let's go, boys. And, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in their carts, which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan. And they went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him. Verse number seven. And his sons and his sons' sons his daughters and their husbands and their children and his son's daughters and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now, these were the names of the children of Israel. If Brandon wasn't here, I would probably try to read these names. Uh, but I'm not going to try it. I'm not going to give Brandon the joy of watching me stumble. No, actually, I am going to read these names, Brandon, so hang on. Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jemiel, Jamin, Obhad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shua, Sheu, the son of the Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon and Kohath and Merari. Kohath, by the way, is, is uh, in the line of Moses and Aaron. Uh, that's where Moses and Aaron came from, from Kohath. The sons of Judah were Ur. Now, we, Judah, we know, is the line which brings forth the Messiah. So his line is very important. The sons of Judah were Ur and Onan, Shelah, and then the twins, Perez and Zerah. Now, they're both in the genealogy of Jesus Christ over in Matthew. You'll see their names there. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan, the sons of Perez, were Hezron. Hezron is also, because he's in the line of Perez, who's in the line of Judah, Hezron is in the line of uh, Jesus over in the book of Matthew. And Hamo, the sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. Now, this is not more than likely not the Job who wrote the book of Job. Some people say it is, but I don't think that's possible because he more than likely died down in Egypt, and if you remember, Job was from the land of Uz, and so this is probably not that same Job, even though it's an unusual name. The sons of Zebian were Sarad, Elon, and Jalil. These were the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padan Haram, with, her, with his daughter, and Dinah's mentioned here because of Dinah's incident in chapter 34. Jacob had other daughters. But, but uh, Dinah and one other of the daughters is mentioned, but, but he I had more than likely several daughters and, and son-in-laws. He says all the persons, his sons and his daughters, were 33. The sons of Gad were Zephion, Haggai, uh, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. Those sounds like Italians there. The sons of Asher were Jimna, uh, Ishiah, Ishu, Beriah, and Sarah, another daughter here, a, a woman. There's very, very few women listed in this genealogy, but they have a 
purpose here. And the sons of Berea were Heber and Malkiel. Malkiel. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter, and these, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin, and Joseph in the land of Egypt, and, and to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim from Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, uh, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were uh, Bella, Becker, Ashbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Muppim. Muppim is the father of the Muppets. Don't write that down. Huppim, I could give one there too, but we'll leave that alone. And Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan, he only had one, was Hashim. The sons of Naphtali were Jazil, uh, Guni, Jaser, and Shelem. These were the sons of Billah, whom Laban bore to Rachel, his daughter, and she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob, who came from his body, besides, now the most important sons are the 12 sons. These are the ones besides Jacob's son's wife were 66 persons in all. Now, that's really interesting. 66 is what? It's the number of man. 666 is the number of the Antichrist. Uh, so, so these were the ones who weren't part of that 12-son uh, heritage. And then, and then the names of, of the sons of Joseph who were born with him in Egypt were two persons, all the persons of the house of Jacob from the 12 sons who went to Egypt were 70. Now, 70 is a very important number because that's the number of God. That's the number of perfection, God's perfection, God's completion. Uh, so that's a very important number. And the Israelites are the people of God. And since they're the people of God, the number 70, you would think, would be very important in the history of the nation of Israel. And that number 70 was very important. It had special significance throughout their history. You've got these 70 uh, people who, who made the journey down to Goshen. It, when you get to Numbers, you'll have the 70 elders. Uh, they, when they go into captivity, how long do they go into captivity? For 70 years. Uh, you, Daniel's prophecy about the nation of Israel is how many weeks? It's 70 weeks, 490 years. Uh, there, are set, there were 70 members of the Sanhedrin. Uh, Jesus sent out 70 missionaries, two by two, to the Jews. Uh, there are 70 holy days on the Jewish calendar. Uh, there are, are uh, 52 Shabbats, seven days of Passover, uh, one day of Shavuot, uh, one day of Rosh Hashanah, the New Year, one day of Yom Kippur, and eight days of Sukkot. And so you total all those up and you have 70 holy days uh, in the Jewish calendar. All right, now let's pick up in verse number 28 now. Then he sent, then Jacob, he's heading, now they've made their journey and they're just about to arrive in Goshen. And so then he sent Judah before him as, he, as he's about to get there. He sends him to Joseph and uh, he also points to them the way to go. He, uh, he shows them how to get to Goshen, and then Judah heads on down to, to see 
Joseph and let Joseph know that his father has arrived. And they came to the land of Goshen, which is about 50 miles north of where Joseph was living, either in Memphis or Cairo, one of those places there. We're not, we're not exactly sure. As soon as Joseph gets word that his father has arrived, he gets, goes to his garage and he's got all sorts of chariots. He's got a, he's got a Volkswagen chariot and he's got a, uh, a Toyota chariot and he's got a Corvette chariot and he's got a Ferrari chariot. Which one do you think he took? He got in his Ferrari chariot and he mounted up his best horses and he headed over there to see his father, uh, Jacob. So Joseph made ready his chariot and went up to Goshen uh, to, to meet his father, Israel, or Jacob, and he presented himself to him, and look what happens. He hadn't seen his father in 20 years. Uh, his father hadn't seen him, Joseph, in 20 years. And, and, and they're going to have a great reunion. And it says they, they, he fell on his neck that, that uh, uh, Joseph fell on, uh, Israel's neck and he wept on his neck and I think Israel wept on his neck they wept and they hugged and they wept and they hugged and they wept and they hugged and they couldn't say a word they were so excited and uh, it went on for a good good while you can imagine just, just the great reunion after all that had happened to them for them to be back together again it was so wonderful so emotional they couldn't even speak and then when it was all over and that good while had, had ended, Israel said to Joseph, uh, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. Joseph still got a little, I mean, Jacob still got a little pessimistic streak in him. I mean, I can die now. I mean, I've seen your face. I mean, my joy is complete. Uh, I heard that you were alive and now I see that you're alive. I heard that you were Lord over all Egypt. Now I see that you're Lord over all of Egypt. And now I can die in peace. And I think he really was ready to die. His joy was complete. But God wasn't ready for him to die. He's 17 years left. I think 17 of the best years of his life. You know, that's what the Lord can do for some of you older people. He can give, make your life. Actually, I'm in that group too. He can make our years, our last years, the very best years of our life. And that's, I mean, that's the kind of God we serve. You see so many people that the last years are, are, are their worst years. They're, they're their very worst years. But God can make them our very best years. And that's, I think that's what he did for Jacob. Because Jacob had lived a pretty rough life up until this point, And God's going to make those last years really good for him. So Joseph now, being the entrepreneur, the businessman, the, 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 the man who pays attention to details... He, he, he now goes to business, and, and uh, he says he, he's got to take care of some business. So then Joseph said to his brother, brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and say to him, my brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. Now, Pharaoh knew he was coming. Pharaoh had actually commanded them to take the carts and go get Jacob and bring Jacob back to his son Joseph and, and bring back the whole family and he knew that they were going to settle in Goshen but, but uh, now this greeting is over Joseph wants to uh, take care of these details and one of the details that has to be taken care of is they can't just move to Goshen without getting a 
formal approval from Pharaoh. Even though Pharaoh has given them a verbal approval, they're going to have to go before Pharaoh. He's going to have to see them, and he's going to have to give them approval to live in the land of Goshen, and that's, that's what happens next. And so uh, Jacob says in verse number uh, 32, he says, and he says, look, I will go to Pharaoh, and I will tell Pharaoh that you guys are shepherds. Uh, you are shepherds. That's the only occupation you've ever known. And I've got to tell them that because, because shepherds are an abomination to Egyptians, and you can see why. Because if you've ever seen what sheep do to grass, they do the same thing to crops. And so you don't want sheep around your crops. And so, so uh, he's got to make a case that, hey, you're going to keep being shepherds. And Joseph wanted them to be shepherds, and God wanted them to be shepherds, more importantly. And so, listen, I'm going to go to him, and I'm going to tell him that you men are shepherds. That's been your occupation. It has been uh, to feed livestock, and that, that they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says to you, what is your occupation? Don't waffle out on me. Don't make me look bad. Don't tell them something like, man, we're shepherds, but we can't stand being shepherds. We would much rather be farmers. Don't tell them that. I mean, you don't go to an interview to, to, to be an accountant and tell the, the person who's interviewing you, well, I'm, I'm looking for this job, but I really want to be a school teacher. You don't do that. You go and tell them how much you love accounting and how that's what you've always wanted to do and you want to do that the rest of your life and I'll stay here forever. That's what you, I mean, that's what you, that's usually what you think is happening anyway, but that's what you tell them when you go to that interview. And he's telling them the same thing. Don't go in there and waffle at all. That you shall say your servant's occupation has been, verse 34, with livestock from our youth even till now, both we and our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. And here's why you got to make that case because they don't like shepherds in Egypt for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians and that's the last verse we'll look at today so he says in essence look remember this you you're going to be shepherds but you're not going to be popular down in Egypt because the Egyptians aren't crazy about shepherds. They don't allow shepherds on their land, and you're, there you are taking the heart of the land. So you can't expect to be popular with the Egyptian population when you're coming in with all of these sheep into that land. But who was behind all of this? Who was behind this move? Who was behind this, this, this I mean, God could have moved them down there and made them farmers, but he moves them down there, and he moves them down there with all their sheep. Why did God do that? Let me tell you why God did it. Because he wanted them to be an abomination to the Egyptians. Let me tell you what, even today he wants Israel to be an abomination to the Egyptians. He wants Israel to be an abomination to the rest of the world. Why? Because he doesn't want them assimilated into the world. He wants them to be a holy and separate people. Now when you go to the Lord and you start praying, oh Lord, I'm not popular at work. Nobody likes me at work, or I'm not popular at school. Nobody likes me at school. You know what the Lord's answer to that probably will be? That's the way I designed it. I designed it that way so that you would be holy and separate from the rest of the world. We're not, we're in the world. Christ said we're in the world. But we're not of this world. And God's going to keep it that way. And let me tell you what, if you're buddies with all the people that are 
are engaged in worldly activities that are antichrist activities, which, by the way, that's most of what the world does. It is antichrist. It is anti-God. And if you're friendly, I, I'm, I'm friendly with my neighbors. Don't get me wrong. But I, I'm friendly with people in this world in such a way that it makes me worldly. I've crossed the line. And God's not going to let you as a child of God cross that line. And so he'll get you, make you the most unpopular person at your job if that's what it takes to keep you holy. And that's what, and, and that's what he often does. So don't be surprised if, if that's not the case. Because he wanted Israel to be a special people. He wanted Israel to be the apple of his eye. That's what he, he, he made this nation for, to be the apple of his eye. And he wasn't going to let the world destroy them. The world never really destroyed them. They destroyed themselves because they brought the world into their nation. They wanted to be worldly. And they kept bucking God on this issue, and they kept becoming more and more worldly until they become, they took in all the pagan gods, and then God put them into that 70 years of captivity. And later on, they crucified Jesus Christ, and the nation was destroyed, and they were scattered all over the world, and they're back in that land again. And in some ways, you see the same thing happening now. Even though God has them separate, everybody around them hates them. Israel wants to be part of this world so bad. And they're going to get that when they get the Antichrist. They're going to get to be his home. And, and uh, they're going to see that that's not, that's not a very good thing at all. So here was Jacob. And he's faced with this decision to move or not to move. And what does he do? He steps out in faith. It's a decision he has to immediately make, and he steps out in faith and uh, all the way as he's moving out, he's seeking God. What a lesson for all of us. He seeks God until he gets his marching orders from God, and I believe he would have stopped in Beersheba if he had not heard from the Lord. He wouldn't have gone down to Egypt. He might have gone down for a visit, but he wouldn't have stayed down there until he got those orders from the Lord. And, and by listening to the Lord, by waiting on the Lord, by moving out in faith, J Jacob uh, secured his prosperity even during the famine, and uh, uh, he, he was reunited with his son Joseph, and the whole family was together in Egypt, and there that wonderful nation was built. F.B. Meyer, great preacher from the last century, actually even the century before, uh, had this to say about seeking the will of God. Listen to what he says, and I think it's very, uh, you know, packed with wisdom, this statement right here. He says, when you want to know God's will, there are three things which always concur. Three things. The inward impulse, the word of God, and the trend of circumstances. So before you move, he says, or as you move, make sure that these three things concur. Three things. Let me read them to you again. The inward impulse, the word of God, and the trend of circumstances. Now, where, here's where I would disagree a little bit. I don't think they necessarily come in that order. They don't always come in that order. Your circumstances may be forcing you to, to move out 
before you get a clear word from God. Actually, sometimes your circumstances might be the word of God. If you lose your job, you've got to look for another job. Whether God gives you a word from heaven or not, that's the will of God that you look for another job. And so, so, so uh, you know, your circumstances might be forcing you uh, uh, to move before you, before you get a word. But somewhere along the line, you're going to get a word, just like Jacob did. Jacob moved out by faith, and he eventually got the word. And here's, here's something else in this list that he gives about impulses. You can't always trust your impulses. To me, that would be the last thing I would look at when I was looking for the wisdom of God in a decision on whether to move or not to move, or my impulses. Because your impulses sometimes come from God, but they also come from the devil. And they also come from yourself. And so you really can't trust impulses unless your circumstances and the word of God match up. And so for me, the number one thing that I'm going to look for when I'm making a decision on whether to move or not to move, to move in some direction or another direction, or not to move in a a direction, what I'm going to do, I'm going to look for the word of God. And I'm going to keep looking for the word of God and until I reach the point of no return, and then I'm going to stop at that point, and I'm going to wait on that word of God. And wherever my Beersheba is, that's where I'm going to stop, and I'm going to find out what God really wants me to do. Because I'll tell you what, God has ways of move, pushing you out if, you, if, if he wants you to, to go further in whatever direction you're going. And, and he tests us on these things. Because a lot of times our circumstances are such that, Lord, where are you at? And we want to hear from God so bad, and he, he wants us to move out in faith. So put all of those things together, and you've got the recipe for knowing God's will. That is that your, your, your circumstances are pushing you there. You've got a word from God, and your impulse is to go. And when you've got all of those things going, you're just like Jacob. You're light of step. You know that you're in God's will. You know that you're going to prosper through whatever trouble comes your way. And you know that uh, the Lord is going to be with you wherever you go. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the great promise that you've given us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, and that promise that when we lack wisdom, if we ask you for wisdom, Lord, at some point you're going to give us that wisdom. You're with us. You're going to give us wisdom. And so, Lord, we can find direction from you when we really take the time and effort to seek you for that direction. And so, Lord, I know there's a lot of people in this room right now that are facing, facing major decisions in their life. If they're not now, they're going to be facing some along the way if things keep going like they're going. And Lord, we need to learn these lessons. We need to learn to, to be willing to step out and trust you and to find your will as we go. Lord, when we do that, we know that we're going to prosper. Lord, you can prosper us in, in so many ways, especially spiritually, if we'll just be obedient to you and honor you by seeking your will. Help us to be the kind of people who do that. Lord, we know that your will is for everyone to know Jesus Christ, to be born again, to to live forever with you. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't truly made that decision, 
who truly hasn't been born again, Lord, I ask that you touch their heart today and let today be the day that they make a decision to receive Jesus Christ into their heart. Lord, you're, you're such a wonderful God and things are so good. Lord, we can have joy when all everyone else is afraid and scared. And, and Lord, we just ask that you bring peace to this world. And Lord, we ask that that peace that comes, comes through you. That's real peace. Lord, we pray today that, that the time is we know in the time is short that today be the day of our salvation Lord we pray for the rapture to come today Lord we pray Maranatha come quickly we just, we, Lord we long for you to rule and reign on this earth when, when you rule and reign in righteousness and truth and peace Lord we love you and we want to honor you in all we do so Lord help us to be the kind of people that, that seek after you for all the things that we do help us we pray in Christ's name I pray Amen <laughs>